Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. It's a little, it's a little, uh, sort of different in here this morning. I don't know what happened. The Lord just parted the middle section, and there's like no one right here. Uh, little parting of the Red Sea. It's just me right here. I don't know. Can you everybody see me on this side? I kind of got to play the pole movement game. Um, but praise the Lord. How's everyone doing this morning? Hopefully you're doing well. Well into 2022. Where did January go? It just flew, flew right on by. That's the thing with time, right? It just, it just flies right on by us. But I'm excited for what God is going to do today. I believe we're going to have an amazing service, and hopefully Sunday school is just as well. God, I think, has a word for us if we will hear it. If you have your Bibles, though, we'll get ready to jump in and turn to Luke chapter 4. And while you're turning there, again, I want to honor our pastor. Um, He is the best pastor I've ever seen. Him and his family are amazing. Um, I'm just honored to be in this church, honored to be in the pulpit. I don't take it lightly. Um, I don't think anyone does, but we have amazing leadership here, and I just want to give acknowledgement to him. Um, If this is your first time here, welcome. Hopefully you enjoy it today. We have an awesome church, and the best thing about our church isn't us, it's Jesus. So if you're there, Luke chapter 4, would you say amen? We're going to start at verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning, but it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, the King James Version says, the Holy Ghost. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Verse 5, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over him. This is the devil talking. Because they are mine to give (laughs) to anyone I please. I will give it all to you, Jesus, if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test or tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. He left him for a season. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Lord, 
God, I thank you for, God, just the opportunity to be in your presence today, Lord. This is the day that you've made, and my mind is made up, God, that I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. So I pray, God, teach us from your word, Lord. I pray the lesson that you've given me, God, I pray, God, let it fall on good ground today, ground that will receive it and apply it, Lord. I pray you would help us all today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So the title of my lesson this morning is very simple, Wilderness and Temptation. Wilderness and Temptation. And so actually we started off the year, as many of you guys may have remembered, may have have noticed, um, in previous weeks we've been focusing on the promises of God. And as we're doing this God's Word for Life curriculum, the children are learning the same thing that we're learning. The youth and the hyphen are learning the same thing we're learning. But this morning, we're going to start a new series. And so in previous weeks, we learned about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises that God promised them. And even today, we're going to kind of see how that intertwines and what we're going to talk about um, about how the promises God made, those, those men and characters in the Bible are still working uh, even in the day that we live in now. But in this particular new, se- new series that we're going to start, we're going to transition from talking about the promises of God to following after God or focus on following the Lord, following Jesus. How many of y'all want to follow Jesus? Show of hands. Every hand hopefully is lifted in here that you want to follow Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a trick question. Again, everyone listening right now, hopefully you desire to follow the Lord. If not, then you're probably in the wrong place, right? We should all strive to follow the Lord and to be like him. But as we enter into these next few weeks, as we go through this, this series, we're going to look at what it means and what it takes to follow Jesus, Because everybody has their own idea of what it is to follow after the Lord. And if you're going to follow after Jesus, then there's a few concepts, there's a few ideas, if I could put it that way, that we must understand in order to follow him the right way, with the right spirit, to not get upset, right, when God tells us to go this way, but we want to go that way, right? So when we talk about following after the Lord, there are some things we need to understand. A perfect example, the Bible tells us to take up your cross and follow him. How many of y'all like that verse? Anybody? No, nobody wants to take up the cross. Nobody wants to crucify or deny yourself to follow after the Lord. But that, that's just an example of some things we got to understand as it comes to following Jesus. So here's a question to start it off this morning. What is one thing you understand now as an adult that maybe you didn't quite grasp when you were a child? Just want to let that sink in for a moment. What is one thing you understand now that you're grown up that you didn't understand when you were a kid? So this is one of the questions, part of this lesson, but as I pondered this question in my own life, I began to laugh and chuckle. There's a whole lot of things that I can look back on. Um, But I'll admit for a time I was a little bit stumped because maybe just my unique upbringing, but I don't really remember much as a child that I really sort of didn't under, 
stand. There were definitely some things when I was younger, right? When you're really, really, really little, you just, you just don't know. But as I became a teenager and, and things like that, um, there were definitely some things I didn't know, but kind of just picked them up as, as I gone along. And I can blame myself just to happen of circumstance. I have explained it before, but I was lucky to be the middle child growing up. How many middle children do we have in here? Praise the Lord. Bless you. I know how you feel. I know how you felt growing up. Um, but I was lucky enough as a middle child to watch my brother, six years older than me, be the guinea pig for the family. He got to take all the, all the heat, all the blame, because he was the first. He, he, he had to learn it the hard way. And so I learned what to do and, more importantly, what not to do from my older brother. I got to watch my parents explain things to him that he didn't understand. And then it was like, ah, that's what they mean when they say that. So I didn't kind of have to learn a whole lot of things firsthand because I had a big brother that got to make mistakes. He got to get in trouble, and I got to scurry on by. Um, so I kind of got a jump start or a head start, if I could put it that way, into just understanding how this world works. But, you know, I'm, I'm me. How many know as parents you have a different perspective, right? And so what did I do? I called my mom and dad. I said, Mom, what were some things that I didn't understand as a kid but maybe you think I understand them now, right? And she was like, I don't know, ask your dad. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I called them and, and, and asked them for some feedback on maybe some memories that I don't remember. And as they began to go back down memory lane, the laughter just started. They just bust out laughing, made fun of me a little bit. But they both said they used to tell me that money doesn't grow on trees. How many adults have ever used that with your children? What in the world does that mean? I know what it means now, but as a child, you know, maybe it was just me. I'm, 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 Brother Henderson is just a little bit different, but I was the smart aleck in the family. Michelle can testify a little bit. My mom and dad would say, Trey, money don't grow on trees. I'd be like, well, you're wrong because money is paper and paper comes from trees. I learned it in school. That was me. I would be that one that said, hold up now. Let's, let's talk about technicalities. I was that, that smart aleck, but it wasn't the fact that money didn't come from trees. It was the concept was what I was missing. You know, there wasn't some, and we used to joke about this with one of my grandmothers, there wasn't some magical money tree growing in the backyard that my parents had access to, but I was denied every time I made an acquisition. Um, there was no money tree in the backyard. I had to understand that it took time. It took work. It took Energy, all that stuff accompanied every dollar that my parents spent on me and my siblings. And so as a parent, I, I, I understand that now, right? My son Jay is going through this period right, or this season, as we're going to talk about today, about seasons. My son is going through a season where his most common phrase is, it's not fair. That's his, that's his most common phrase. Every time he loses a game, we play Monopoly as a family. It's not fair. He loses. Every time we play a video game and he loses, it's not fair. I hear him from the room across the house. It's not fair. Every time he gets in trouble, guess what? It's not fair. Every time he has to go to school when he doesn't want to go, he's only in kindergarten, y'all. It's not fair, right? Or he has to clean up his room or pick up his trash or pick up his clothes. His answer is, it's not 
fair. And me and my wife, we have to hear it multiple times a day. It's not fair. And I don't know where he first learned this phrase, but it's his story and he's sticking to it no matter what it, what it is. He's sticking to it. But I know as he's growing a little bit older, he, is, he already knows what my response is going to be when he says it. And he's probably tired of it because I always tell him, sorry, son, but the world is not fair. And at four years old, you know, he doesn't understand that yet, but the lesson will surely sink in when he gets older. And lastly, my wife told me that as she was growing up, some of the things she didn't understand, she used to hate it when her grandmother, Sister Bush, or her mother would tell her not to grow up too fast. Don't grow up so fast. Why are you in a rush? And in her words, not mine, she was in a rush to become an adult. She couldn't wait to be 18. She couldn't wait to get her license. She couldn't wait to go here, go there. Those are, my, those are not my words. Those are my wife's words. But she didn't understand that when you get older, that freedom that you think you'll have is only a fantasy. It's only, it's only a concept that we just make up in our mind. See, when you get older, responsibility, right, is what's waiting for you. Bills, hello somebody, are waiting for you, right? Work is what waits for you. That's what's waiting for you. And uh, looking back, she told me she wished she had just slowed down a little bit and enjoyed more of her childhood. Can anybody relate to that? You wish you had slowed down a little bit as a child and maybe embraced more of what was happening rather than being in such a rush to grow up. And so I want us to kind of take that mindset, that thought, that question I just asked, and transition this or look at this question with some spiritual application. Two verses of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul's writing here. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you, and this is a New Living Translation, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were an infant in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. That's some tough language that Paul is telling the church. Later on in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when I matured, I had to put away childish things. How many know that to be true, right? If you're still acting like a four-year-old, claiming that it's not fair, and I'm 34, right? We got a problem, right? It's 30 years between where my son is and where I'm at. And eventually I have to grow up and realize, no, the world is not fair. But the same thing applies to us spiritually. If you're still the same way you were when you first came to the Lord, 20 years later, there's a, there's a problem there. You're you missed, you missed something. You've missed some spiritual growth. And so what, what is something, here's that question again, what is something you understand now as a mature child of God that you did not quite grasp at the beginning? Maybe you weren't ready for that thing at the beginning. And only through growing in God, what is something that you understand now that maybe you didn't understand when you first came to the Lord? And so 1 Corinthians, as we read, just talks about it. But in the kingdom of God, there is a growth process. And this process looks differently for every person. You can't look at your brother and say, ah, they're not growing because they're not where you're at. No, every person has their own, you know, 
pace that they grow, and God works with them through that. You can't compare yourself to someone else, but you can compare yourself to where you started, to where you are now. That's something that we're able to do. But the principle here is that this process of growth is part of God's plan. How many understand that? You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to grow. If you aren't growing, then unfortunately you're stagnating. You're declining. I was just in pastor's office as we got ready for today's service. And one of the things he told the leaders was, if you're not growing, then you're declining. And that's a tough pill to swallow because, you know, we look at growth in a lot of weird ways. It's like, I'm growing if I'm making more money. I'm growing if I'm getting smarter. I'm growing if I'm, you know, better than this person. But that's not the correct way to look at growth, especially biblically. The question is, are you growing in God? Are you getting wiser along the way? Do you understand that it's not a race, it's a journey, right? A lot of times we, we want to win the race. We're so pushing so hard to win a race, but it's really more of an endurance. It's a journey. And so I say all of that as I lay a little bit of foundation just to get us to our very first point this morning. And here's something that you should understand, whether you're just into this or you're not, or you've been part of walking with God for 50 years. The first point is that it's the spirit of God that leads us into the wilderness. The spirit of God leads us into the wilderness. Sometimes God is the main one. He is the one who purposely leads us in the wilderness. If we look at the text we read from Luke chapter 4, um, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, he's returning from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. In the previous chapter of Luke chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. And although we know Jesus is, right, the Holy Ghost, the Bible tells us fresh off after being baptized, Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost. And in this state, right, full of the Holy Ghost, we can relate. You get baptized, you get full of the Holy Ghost, you get set on fire for God. All of this happens, the Bible says, immediately after it happens, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. How many of you have been momentum gained in your walk with God and then, boom, you find yourself in a season of struggle, a season of difficulty? Understand that more than likely, God has purposely brought that season to you for a reason. Now, I don't know about you, but personally, I don't like the wilderness. Yes, it might be pretty to look at. We see all these pictures, right, screensavers of a tree that's just sitting there or a forest that looks so welcoming and inviting. But I don't like the wilderness. Certainly, it's beautiful, but if I had a choice, I'd gladly take my air-conditioned house than the wilderness. Hello, somebody. If it's 74 and I want to turn it down. I can turn that joker down. If you're in the wilderness and it's 80, you got to live with it. And it might be 85 the next time you think about it. You, you don't know what could happen in, in the wilderness, but there's a little bit more safety and control when we have comfort, right? And no, the wilderness is not, the wilderness that I'm talking about is not some Caribbean beach somewhere where you can pull out your, your favorite, you know, sippy drink and drink on it. But the wilderness I'm talking about is more like a desert. It's dry. It's 
it's lacking substance, so to speak. Or your wilderness could look like a storm. Maybe your wilderness just looks like darkness because you can't see where you're going. That's a lot of times what it looks like for us, right? But many times, as immature believers, as babes in Christ, infants of the faith, we can have this misunderstood notion that following Jesus means it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows, that all our troubles are simply going to vanish away because we're following the Lord. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing, so it should be perfect, right? I should follow this yellow brick road to heaven, but unfortunately, that's not the way it works. Just because we've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, it, sometimes we think that just means we're going to live comfortably and never have to struggle, never have to face anything. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know where that mindset comes from, but it's the farthest thing from the truth. My Bible tells me that sometimes it's the Lord. It's not me. It's not my enemy. It's not my family. Not someone else that I can blame this season of trial on, but it's the Lord that brings us or leads us into the wilderness. And I really want to let that sink into someone's thinking because I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you are in the wilderness. Maybe you are facing something today. But if you're being led by the Lord, that's exactly where he wants you to be. Yes, the Lord, the Holy Ghost, will lead us in times of of trial to lead us into the wilderness. It's the Lord that leads us into these difficult seasons of life where we get tired. How many of y'all have ever been just tired? My kids ask me, what's wrong, Daddy? I'm, t- I'm just tired, son. Tired. My wife says, how you feeling today? I'm just tired. <laughs> but in, in, the, in the difficult seasons of life, we get tired. We get weary. We become dry and irritable. How many of you just know, don't press that button today? Don't. <laughs> don't. It's not the time. Not today. I'm, I'm in this trial right now. It's me and the Lord. I don't need a third party jumping in, right? We get irritable. The Lord leads us into these seasons where sometimes we lose loved ones or we battle sickness, right? We find ourselves unable to accomplish things on our own. God, why would you lead me into this? And the Lord takes us into these seasons with a purpose, mainly to test us and to stretch us. And we don't like that because it's painful. It's difficult. It's hard to to say, God, why, would you, why, why am I facing this struggle? But if God is leading us, understand he'll bring us through it. The ultimate, part, the ultimate purpose of it is so that he can grow us. But we don't like the wilderness, though. And I'll admit, I don't like it either, but it's true. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years or five minutes, the fact is still true. The Lord will sometimes bring you into a season of trial, a season of struggle, what we can call wilderness. And sometimes it's not anything that we've done. You can start saying, God, what have I done to deserve, to deserve this? Have you ever asked the Lord that? Why, God, what, have I made a mistake? If so, take me back so I can fix that mistake. But sometimes it ain't anything that you've done. Jesus, right, what did Jesus do wrong? Nothing, but it says the Spirit led him still in the wilderness. You know, there are times where we will make mistakes and we will put ourselves in a bad way. But there are also some times where your struggle is exactly where God wants you to be. And it doesn't make sense, but it's all part of the plan 
that God has for us. And here's a perfect example, perhaps the best example of the wilderness and God's plan. Exodus chapter 13. Every time we talk about the wilderness, it's easy just to talk about the children of Israel, right? Because they were in the wilderness. But in Exodus chapter 13, it says this, and it came to pass, this is when they're coming out, it says when, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them. This is God's decision. God led them not through the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. It says in verse 18, but God led. God led them purposely. God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. We know if you read the story of Moses, even go back this morning about the promises of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, God had promised his people, of the children of Israel, that one day they would live in the promised land. And here, as they come out of Egypt, as they come out from the world, if you could put it that way, right? Egypt is a type of the world. As they make their decision to follow after the Lord, they could have gotten to the promised land a different way. There was a more direct path that could have took them to where God promised to take them. But the Bible says God led them through a wilderness. God purposely took them through the wilderness, a wilderness that they would stay in for 40 years. 40 years. A wilderness where they would be tested and tempted. And I pray to God that whatever wilderness season that the Lord has prepared for you doesn't last 40 years. That's a long time, my goodness. But just like the children of Israel, right, sometimes, just in their case, they messed up. They failed the test during the wilderness. We sometimes mess up and fail our test. We have to understand that if God has led us into this season, then he has a plan and purpose for it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, Moses is speaking here, and now he's 120 years old. He's at this point, a generation has, has risen in the wilderness where another generation has died. And Moses is, is talking to them before they're getting ready to go into the promised land finally. And he says, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. He did it to humble you to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. God has a purpose to fulfill in the wilderness. And we will grow through it if we follow his lead. How many have found it's in the wilderness, right? Moses was in the wilderness when he, when he got to see the burning bush. How many know in your wilderness you got to see Jehovah Jireh be your provider? You got to see that the Lord is a healer or the Lord is a deliverer. You don't just find that immediately in the promised land. It's in the seasons of struggle where God will reveal himself to us in those ways. So we have to remember if we're in the wilderness to follow God and let him 
lead us, right? The next point I want to bring to our attention is also important as we mature in the Lord. And that is that being filled with the Holy Ghost does not exempt us from experiencing temptation. Being filled with the Holy Ghost doesn't exempt you from experiencing temptation. Now, most of us probably got this revelation a day or two after we started serving the Lord. Temptation is all around us, right? Everywhere we look, there's temptation. But even having the spirit of the eternal God living on the inside does not exempt us from facing that temptation. We can't just run and hide. We can't go bury our head in the sand and imagine that temptation is never going never gonna to appear in front of us, right? If Jesus, the Son of God, had to face temptation, then we should understand we should also prepare ourselves for the same. And Jesus certainly knew, right, the dangers of temptations. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and 13 that we always, we pray this, right, the Lord's Prayer. He taught all of his followers to pray and lead us not into temptation, right? Deliver us from evil. And deliverance from temptation and evil should be the subject of every believer's prayer. Every day we need to ask God to lead us. If we never pray about temptation, we're probably not taking that temptation seriously enough. Right? How many of you pray, God, help me in whatever I'm facing every day? Is that a daily part of your prayers? How many of you ever missed a prayer or went through a time where you missed that prayer and then you're like, huh, why am I struggling right here? Hmm. Why am I facing this right now, right? And as I talked about before, it's bad enough that God leads us into these vulnerable seasons in our lives. But it's in the midst of those seasons that temptation gets harder and harder to ignore, right? It's easy to ignore it when you're on the mountaintop. All I see is the glory of God around me when I'm standing in his presence at an altar, right? where all I feel is God's presence all around me, but it's a lot harder when you're sick and you're battling it or you're battling a disagreement with someone or your children are going crazy. It's a lot harder to ignore temptation then because it just pops up at the worst of times. But the Bible says, again, going back to our story in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, says he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. For 40 days. That's a long time to face temptation. And the Bible says he was hungry, right? How many of you get irritable when you get hungry? Brother James Wilson says hangry. You get, you get angry when people take that food from you, right? How many of you have ever fasted for the Lord? How do you handle temptation in those times? It gets difficult. It gets challenging. Seems like the enemy just bombards us, right? The truth is everyone faces temptation. More importantly, us, the spirit-filled people. When we decide to follow Jesus, the devil, he don't just say, oh, that's cute. No, he don't do that. He paints a bullseye on your back because he's like, all right, this one is the one that they're going to oppose me. So we need to mark that one right there. He puts a bullseye on us. And a lot of times, again, we think walking with the Lord is sunshine and rainbows. But the truth is you should expect even more temptation when you decide to walk for God. God. But a lot of times we think, again, the opposite. The spiritually immature have this false idea that living for the Lord means we're above 
temptation, or we never have to face temptation. That when God saves us, every addiction, every impulse to do sin just fades away. No, the truth is, every day when you live for God, you have to make a decision. You have to choose to surrender that thing, that temptation, to God every day until those chains are broken. Yes, God does do instant work. How many have ever seen God do an instant work in somebody? They stop cussing right away. They stop drinking right away. Our bishop, he's preached where he just, the desire for cigarettes and drugs just went away immediately when he came to God. Yes, that does happen to people. But for majority of us, it's a process. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing to this, this, this congregation. And when Paul needed a, an illustration of the dangers of temptation, he did not have to look any further than the story about what I just read, the children of Israel in the wilderness. Even though they were led by God's spirit and by his appointed prophet Moses, the Israelites still faced temptation. And the truth, you know what's funny? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Hollywood, Netflix, Instagram, social media. They didn't have any of those modern things that just so easy to tempt us nowadays. They didn't have any of that. Yet in 1 Corinthians 10 and 5, it says they were still overthrown. They still fell to temptation without any of that stuff. They still fell to temptation in the wilderness. Moving down to verses 11 and 12, it says, Now all these things happen unto them for an example to us. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed. Pay attention. Don't think you're bigger than what you might be facing or you could fall. Take heed, right, lest he fall. Temptation is real, and it's dangerous, but we're not left to its mercy because the Bible says that God is faithful. In verse 13, Paul told his readers that God is faithful. In his faithfulness and mercy, God graciously provides an exit ramp off the highway of temptation. When you're tempted, he will also provide a way out of it so that you can endure it. Galatians 5 and 16 says, this I say, then walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we're walking in the spirit, as Paul commands here, the spirit will show us the way out of temptation. You don't have to battle that temptation on your own. If God has put you into a wilderness scenario and you're facing temptation, if you'll look hard enough, God will show you the way out before you make a bad decision. If we follow his lead, the spirit can extract us from danger. He gives us strength to overcome and the wisdom to avoid compromising situations. How many have ever been stuck between a rock and a hard place? Anybody? What do I do in that moment? Sometimes spiritually we can feel the same way. God, when all I see is darkness, how do I know to make the right choice? How do I know which way to go? How do I know which step to take? And if we'll just heed the Lord, heed which way he tells us to go, we'll make the right decision. And then in Proverbs 22 and 3, um, Solomon wrote, A prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. God in his mercy can hide us from the evil that lurks 
in our path. Once again, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 3, but the Lord is faithful. Somebody say faithful. How many have found God to be faithful, steadfast, unmovable, unchanging, right? He keeps his word when he says, when he says something, God keeps it. Even spirit-filled, spirit-led believers have seasons when they come face-to-face with evil. And such was the case for Jesus. When he endured a 40-day test of faith in his wilderness or in a desert, his opponent was none other than Satan himself. How many know Satan is a master of deception? I don't want to give him more credit than he deserves, but he is a master of deception. And so while Jesus went to work on or went on to work many miracles during his time on earth, During this particular time where he's in the wilderness, he didn't perform a single miracle during this time. Even though Satan challenged him, right, Satan challenged him to go ahead and do it. Turn this this into a loaf of bread. Do a miracle right away. But the Bible says Jesus didn't do that. Instead, what Jesus did do is Jesus relied solely on a weapon that we also have at our disposal, and that is He relied on the word of God. In doing so, Jesus gave us the perfect example of how to overcome our greatest struggles with temptation and sin. And that leads me to my last point this morning. That is the word is our weapon against temptation. The word is our weapon against temptation. Question for you, what scriptures have you hid in your heart? that have helped you during times of testing and temptation? Do you have any scriptures that you can lean on when things get tough, that you can stand on when you don't know where to go? Do you have any scriptures that you can lean on? What I do suggest is that you start stockpiling those scriptures into your arsenal, because as we get into the last days, temptation is going to continue to bombard us all around, right? We need to have that ammunition that we can pull out when we need it. Because I don't know about you, but in this day and age, temptation and evil are growing more prominent. And God said it would happen again in the last days. We must hide the word of God in our heart. Back to our lesson text. Luke 4 and 2 again indicates that Jesus' temptation lasts right 40 days. He was fasting in the wilderness. When Jesus refuses to give in to his hunger, Satan tries another approach. The enemy offered Jesus the option of obtaining power and glory without struggle, which we know Jesus would one day endure that struggle on a cross. He's offering Jesus an opportunity not to suffer. I mean, have ever been given a decision where up? I remember growing up as a child when I got in trouble, I I was given a decision to take my whooping now or maybe like take the PlayStation away or something like that. And it was hard in that decision. Do I want to not suffer or do I just take instant suffering? Let me tell you something. As I grew older, taking the suffering was the easier route. Because in my family, I could just get beat, take my beating, and then my dad was like, all right, you served your time. Go back outside and play with your friends. I'd be outside playing football. My dad would be like, son, it's time. I would come in the house, get my beating, cry, get it over with. All right, you done. You learned your lesson? I did, sir. Go back outside and play with my friends. I learned it was easier to do that versus sit in the house for a week without anything to do. I'll take the suffering every day, right? But the Bible says in this case, 
the devil offers Jesus an opportunity not to struggle. And Jesus refuses to take Satan's bait in Luke 4, verses 5 through 8. And then finally, Satan questions Jesus' identity and challenges him to prove he really was the son of God. And once again, Jesus refuses to play Satan's game. After this third round of testing, tempting, the devil finally, the Bible says, departed him for a season. Jesus won the battle here, but Satan is going to live to see another day, try to find another way to tempt, right? And so winning the victory over temptation, we should understand, winning the victory today doesn't mean that the devil won't try again tomorrow. We must remain on guard. The Apostle Peter, who faced his own struggles with temptation in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, said this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, right, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. You know, as I thought about this, and the Bible does a great job of describing, in this case, the animal that Satan is kind of referenced to here, a roaring lion. Have you ever watched a lion stalk his prey? Have you ever seen a documentary, watched a lion crouch in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the grass and everything? It's funny. He'll roar. He'll make all this noise. But if his prey doesn't bite on that, then he'll stay right where he is. And then he'll figure out another way to come around on a different angle, a different way. How many know the devil is the same way? Just like I was asking my wife a good analogy. You ever tell a dog not to, not to like, get away from the table? How many times will he sneak around the backside and grab whatever? The devil's the same way. If you resist his temptation today, he's going to keep probing your defenses until he'll find a backdoor way to get access to you. That's why we must be sober and be vigilant. Because what he might try today may be different than what he might try tomorrow. One definition of steadfast is firm in belief or determination or adherence. We must continue to stand strong if we want to remain victorious over the enemy. In his battle against temptation, Jesus drew inspiration from the scriptures, from the Torah. When Satan challenged Jesus to use his supernatural powers to gratify his own desires, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8 and 3. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but every Word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus overcame his second temptation, the opportunity to obtain power and glory by worshiping Satan and dispensing with the suffering of the cross. And in this case, the word Jesus uses is from Deuteronomy 6 and 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him. And also Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. Scripture is what Jesus uses here. Finally, when Satan challenged Jesus to prove he was the son of God by throwing himself off of this pinnacle of the temple, Jesus responded with another scripture, Deuteronomy 6 and 13. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus did not overcome temptation through angelic intervention or some other supernatural display of power. Rather, he relied on the power of God's word, a resource that you and I have. 
It would be weird if God responded with power because we can't respond that way, right? If God called angels down from heaven to, to take care of Satan, we, don't, we, can't, we can't do that. What he gives us is a template, a way that we can battle against Satan and his temptation. That is, he gave us the word. Long before Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, in Psalms 119 and 11, the psalmist had taken note of the power of God's word in resisting temptation. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The New Testament writers compared God's word to a sword, right? Hebrews 4 and 12, noting that, right, the word of of God is quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 and 17, when we talk about the armor of God, talks about the sword of the spirit. That is the word of the Lord. There's no greater weapon for use in our wilderness moments than the word of God. Knowing and obeying the scriptures is the key to winning the victory over the enemy. Now, I'll admit this morning, I love to use the spiritual weapons that God has given us. We know and believe 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, for the weapons of our warfare are what? They're not carnal, right? But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How many have prayed that prayer? You live by that prayer, right? We know the weapons God has given us, they're powerful. But many of us, and I include myself in in this because I have experience, too much experience, if I'm being honest, we face temptations. We face struggles. You know what we do? We try to pray our way out of that. I'm guilty of it. All of us have tried it. We should try it. There's nothing wrong with it. But we try to worship our way out of that season of of temptation and wilderness. We try to praise our way out of that season. And we wonder why at times we continue to struggle over and over and over in those areas. Might I suggest that we're probably using the wrong weapon. We're essentially bringing a knife to a gunfight. When Jesus faced temptation, he didn't respond with prayer. He didn't respond with praise. He didn't respond with worship. Did he do those things at some point while he was fasting in the wilderness? Probably. But specifically, the Bible tells us he uses the word of God. And if you, me, if we are struggling with temptation today, the best weapon isn't your praise or your worship or your prayer The best weapon is to dig into the word of God. I asked this question earlier, but I challenge you, what scriptures have you hid in your heart? Because no matter what you're facing, there is a scripture in the word of God that will address that. If you look hard enough, there is a word in the Bible that will help us in whatever we're facing. For all of us, the word is our foundation. And our adversary is looking for any crack he can find in that foundation. Let's hide the word in our heart so that we don't fall prey, so that we don't sin, so we don't fall to the enemy's devices. Luke made it clear in his writings in Luke verses 4 and verse 1 where we started that when Jesus came to this point, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. But in verse 14, when Jesus comes out, of this experience, the Bible tells us he returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. 
What does that mean? It means throughout his whole ordeal, throughout his whole season of wilderness, season of stretching, season of change, season of highs and lows, of facing temptation. Throughout it all, Jesus had been from start to finish led by the Holy Ghost. And when we follow the leading of the Spirit, what our enemy intends for evil, God will use it for good. If the Spirit leads us into the wilderness, we can be confident that if we continue to trust God, we will come out of that season victorious. Satan intended to abort our Lord's ministry before it even began. Instead, this period of testing and temptation in the wilderness is what propelled Jesus into his purpose and his calling. When Jesus left the wilderness experience, the Bible tells us at the end of that chapter in verse, verse 14 that there went out a fame of him throughout all the region roundabout. Before this chapter is finished in Luke chapter 4, new doors of ministry opens in Jesus' life. And Jesus starts to perform many miracles. How many opportunities have we let slip away because of what we did in our wilderness season? How many opportunities have we let slip away? How many times has God wanted to use us in, in certain areas, use us to win people? But in our season of wilderness, we made the wrong choice. We stopped following after God and we started looking at the things around us. We started getting caught up in temptation. Understand it's in that particular season that God is building us for what he wants to use us in next. Understand your wilderness has a purpose to it. Amen? Stand with me as I get ready to come to a close this morning. How do we know that we're being led by the Spirit? How do you know? How do you know? Right? It's more than just coming to church, sitting on a pew, more than just, right, praying or, or whatever you want to call it, going through the, the movements of, of being a, a Christian. It's more than that. The truth is the barometer for knowing if you're being led by the Spirit is if you're encountering opposition, that's probably a sign that we are being directed by the Holy Ghost to stay there. Satan will always resist the person who is attempting to fulfill God's will. If you're not trying to fulfill God's will, Satan ain't worried about you. He ain't worried about you. I'll let that person go. I'll get them later. They're not, they're not a threat to me, right? Our adversary will try to tempt us to take the easy road, to give in to our carnal desires, pursue earthly glory, protect our own egos, all in our moments where we're being tested, where we're vulnerable. But understand, if we trust God, he can turn those same tests to our advantage. We can come out of the wilderness of temptation and trial stronger than we have ever been and poised to fulfill God's purpose. And so real quick, before I close, as I was preparing for this lesson, how many of you remember last year um, where we went through that series about winning the battle of our mind, right? Not letting the enemy have a seat at our table. How many of you right now would say, I'm in a wilderness? I'd say the world would say it with the pandemic going on right now, right? We're in a time of uncertainty. We're in a time where we're being challenged by many different things. And how many have found in this season temptation is hard to ignore? As we went through that series um, last year, um, we talked about temptation and the, the devil throws thoughts into our mind. 
Here was an interesting statistic that the average person has up to 12,000 thoughts a day. 12,000. Now, a lot of those thoughts are repetitive. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, right? I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, right? A lot of those, right? Our body tells us, hey, it's time to eat, right? Um, but of those thoughts, 80% of them, statistics say, are negative thoughts. And 95% of them were exactly the same repetitive thoughts that we might have had the day before. As we talk about temptation, I want to let that sink in because many of us, we may ignore it the first time that thought comes up. We may ignore it the second, third, fourth time. But when the enemy bombards you constantly with those negative thoughts, one, do a check because understand first that thought didn't come from God, right? God is, condemnation does not come from the Lord. Conviction does, but condemnation does not. Realize the tactics of the enemy while you're in that season. When those thoughts hit you, understand, hey, temptation is coming my way. And the answer to that is found in the word. That's when you pull out that ammunition of scripture and say, I've hidden that word in my heart. God, I've hidden that thing away. I've hidden the word that you've written in scripture for this moment, devil. You're not going to get me to slip up because I've hidden the word of God in my heart. And I'm not going to make that mistake. How many will do that with me? As we enter into whatever season you might be in, dig into the word because that is what's going to help us get victory. That's the right weapon for the season. Bow your head with me as we pray in closing this morning. God, I thank you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.